We are in our second to last installment in the book of James. We've been studying James since a little after 4th of July weekend. And uh, next week, Vanessa will come and wrap up the book. Uh, This week, I'm headed down to Dayton, Ohio, where I'm taking a seminary course uh, in preaching. Uh, guys, I, I preach twice a, twice a day, uh, every, twice a week, every week. I've been doing that for like a year. I preached once a week for a year and a half before that. And I am like psyching myself out uh, because I have to preach in this certain way. I have to preach in 10 to 12 minutes, which, I mean, let's get real. It takes me 10 to 12 minutes to even like get started. Uh, you know what I mean? So uh, I'm, I'm kind of been psyching myself out, but Vanessa's going to wrap up uh, the series next week, and then we'll dive into our six-week series on generosity called Extravagant. Um, I've called it a brief history of the generosity of God. When we invite people to be generous with their finances, it's always based on God's initial generosity towards us. And so we're not purchasing his favor or trying to buy away his wrath, but what we're doing is we're participating in the ongoing generous work of Jesus as he expands his kingdom. So we're going to be digging into that uh, starting September 18th, and I'm really excited about it. We're going to be in James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. If you're using the Bible app, you go to the events, it's already in there. Uh, If you want to pull out the paperback Bible underneath you, Uh, That's the New Living Translation. Honey, what page is that? 737. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. Yes, another passage on suffering. That's where this series began. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of various kinds, for the testing of your faith, faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness, when it does its work, means you are complete and lacking in nothing. And James returns to that theme Uh, in 5, verses 7 through 12, which I'm going to read, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to get in there. Deal? Deal. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Um, James 5, 7. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. For look, the judge himself is standing at the door. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end. For the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never make an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. Let's pray. Hey, Jesus, uh, we believe that when your word is explained, your voice is heard. And so, Father, we pray that uh, your voice would be heard loudest and clearest in this place. Uh, Father, I could not catalog Uh, in a journal or in a notebook, all of the suffering and trials each of us in this room face, but you can. And you've written to us a letter so that we would know what it looks like to walk with you even in the midst of that. And so help us to see you clearly in the midst of our trials tonight. We pray in the name of Jesus who has overcome the world. Amen. 
The fundamental principle is this, here's where it gets real, is that almost everybody is suffering almost all of the time. Almost everybody is suffering almost all of the time. And sometimes that's more visible and sometimes it's not quite as visible, but Steph and I are leaving an event the other night and driving away after having a conversation with a couple people. And we've known them for over a year. We've talked to them about a number of things. And just in passing, we picked up on our radar a disappointment at a hurt in their life that they may not lead with, that may not be very visible, but to them is very deep and very present. The foundational principle is that almost everybody's going through something most of the time. James has just been a little too real. It's a little too like up in my business right now. Uh, it's been about conflict. And so we've been like having like conflict in our life, go figure. Uh, this is about suffering. We've had suffering in our life. And what we learned about conflict is that what scripture wants us to wrestle with is it is not peace interrupted by conflict. It is conflict interrupted by peace that is the bread and butter of our lives. Similarly, what scripture wants us to get to is that it is not respite inter intervened and interrupted by suffering. It is suffering interrupted by respite that we're more prone to walk through seasons of hard things after, with breaks in between than to have long seasons of nothing with brief seasons of suffering. The kind of suffering that come to mind go by so quickly, it's kind of hard to catalog them, right? There's the suffering we experience socially with our friendships and our families and in our workplaces. There's the suffering we experience physically, either in ourselves or in our loved ones. There's the suffering we experience emotionally or that our loved ones experience. A friend uh, texted me this week, he's doing ministry out on the West Coast, and he said, I'm just really kind of wrestling with feelings of my own self-worth today. And he said, maybe the most sneaky aftermath of the fall is the brokenness man experiences with himself. I thought that was profound. There's cancer, there's grief, there's debt, there's disappointment, there's sickness, there's anxiety, there's loneliness, there's depression, there's estrangement, there's divorce, there's singleness, there's infertility, there's our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. The list can just go on and on and on and on. So let's get this out of the way. Let's just, because some of you are just looking to tune out. So let me just give you this and you can zone out for a little while here. If you're looking for a God whose promise is to insulate you from pain, if you're looking for a God who will send all suffering away from you, if you are looking for a God that will ensure that you will never, ever, ever suffer, the God of the Bible, the Jesus that we sing about and worship and treasure is not the God you're looking for. How could he be? He, we worship him just now for his crucifixion and his death. We worship him, yes, because he was resurrected, but we worship him for his crucifixion and his death. And scripture says he learned obedience through what he suffered. The book of Revelation pictures Jesus, our king, as a slain lamb. And so in his side right now is a gaping wound and the hand to which, with which he reaches out to us bears a hole in it. How could he be one to protect us from suffering at all times when he himself is a crucified king? If that's the God you're looking for, the one that protects you, this is not the God you're looking for. The God of the Bible is not it. Because ours is a suffering way. This is why the Bible spends most of its time not telling us ever how to escape suffering. 
It does not ever tell us how to hit the eject button. There is no easy button for what we walk through in our lives. Instead, the universal witness of the scriptures is this, endure, be patient, take heart. And that's exactly what James is going to do in these verses seven through 12. Tonight, we're gonna see this. We're gonna see one command based off of one hope, two temptations that we will face in suffering and three examples of what it looks like for us to endure. Which is not to say that suffering is as easy as one, two, three, but let's just see what we get. So listen again to James' words. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. Skip verse nine for a second. For examples of patience and suffering, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. James wants us to view our suffering from a particular angle, and that particular angle is the imminent return of Jesus. James says that the fact that Jesus could return at any second transforms our suffering. What we functionally do, James says, as human beings on planet Earth who have stepped across the line of faith, we do one thing. We wait for the return of Jesus, which is problematic because I did not wake up this morning thinking to myself, perhaps Jesus could return today. Odds are I will not wake up tomorrow and think to myself concretely, Jesus could come back today and make things very different. And yet, the universal witness of the New Testament is this, that Jesus was born, he lived a perfect life, and died a sinless death, and rose again to glorious new life after three days. Then he spent 40 days on on earth with his closest friends, equipping them to, you know, no big deal, save the world. Uh, And then once they'd done that, uh, just to keep going, and so Jesus spent 40 days equipping and training and building into them, he ascended into heaven and said, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you and we're going to go from there. And he says, when I come, I'm going to come like a thief in the night. This is what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5. We're going to actually dig into this text later in November, so I don't want to get too into it, but just listen to these words. Um, Concerning how, this is 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. Now concerning how and when all this will happen, we don't really need to write you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. And when people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin and there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. By the way, thief in the night, go home, YouTube that. Super terrifying 1960s movie. Like, super scary. Like, with some, like, weird DC talk, a Christian band, like, redid this, but, like, little girl walking across the street, like, not there anymore. Like, the guy's clippers are jumping around in the sink. My wife has nightmares about this movie. Um, For you are all children of the light and of the... You are not... For you are all children of the light and of the day. We, We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. Verses 9, 10, and 11. This is just what cinches it. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. As a side note, 
people walk around thinking that God is ticked at them all the time. And that verse says that when God saves you, the bucket of his wrath is empty toward you. This is the gospel. Verse 10, Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive, when he returns, we could live with him forever. So encourage one another and build each other up just as you are already doing. It's those last three verses. Um, Christ died, or last two, Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So build one another up and encourage one another. The imminent return of Jesus, which will happen like a thief in the night, unexpectedly, suddenly, without all, all sorts of planning. It can't be in my daytimer in any kind of way. There's no notification on my iPhone. Jesus is coming tomorrow, 10 a.m. You know, that doesn't work that way. James says the imminent return of Jesus motivates us to be patient in our suffering. James says, be patient for the Lord is near. The word patient or endure appears six times in these five or six verses, which means when we enter a season of suffering, not if, but when we enter a season of suffering, the command of scripture, the command of the Lord Jesus himself is be patient, endure, we can do this because the imminent appearance of Jesus, it reframes our suffering to say this. Our, when you are in a season of suffering, the imminent return of Jesus tells you that your pain could be over at any minute. When you are in a season of suffering, what is the one thing you're asking for? When is it going to end? That's what you're wondering. When is it over? When is the finish line? When do we get out of this? When's the next thing? And, and James says, the next thing could be at any possible minute. There's really two guaranteed options for the end of our suffering. One, Jesus comes back. Two, you die. This is a happy sermon. Aren't you glad you came? Happy Labor Day to you. James says the end point of our suffering is one, Jesus comes back. Two, you die. Maybe three, he performs a miracle and ends that season of suffering. But guess what? There's another one down the road at some point. This is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.17, for our present troubles are very small and won't last very long. hey -oh. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. In, in either case, either Jesus comes back or we die, when we are ushered, this is important, this is about heaven now, this is getting for real. When we are ushered from this life into the full eternal life that Jesus has promised us, which will last forever, our very present troubles will have seemed to not last very long and not to have been that big. In the heaven's perspective, they are not that big and they don't last very long. James instructs us in patience for this reason. In the eternal weight and length of your life in Christ, which will last forever, this 60, 70, 80 years that we walk in pain and suffering and trial is a blip on the radar. It is like one day of kindergarten to me. I mean, I think there might've been some coloring involved, but somehow we're here and I don't really remember no matter how disappointing, no matter how heartbreaking, no matter how gut-wrenching, no matter how significant in consequence, it's going to come to an end and will actually produce something on its way. The whole context of uh, 417, 2 Corinthians 4.17, listen to this. Paul says, this is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that 
vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things that we cannot see will last forever. When Jesus returns, he will take us with him to heaven. There will be the end of the suffering line. Thus, the hope we have of heaven is the place where every tear is wiped from our eyes, where every heartache and sorrow is taken away from us, and what our hearts truly and ultimately long for, which is God himself, St. Augustine, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. What we ultimately long for and crave after, which is God himself, is what we will have. And James says that puts our suffering into perspective. James says the imminent return of Jesus, getting taken to heaven, getting the reward which we are promised, which is eternal life in Christ, will transform our suffering and enable us to endure it patiently. Which the problem with that is this, it still sucks. It still sucks. It still hurts. It still feels gross. You still want out from underneath it. The promise of the gospel is not to change the emotional weight of our suffering all the time. Sometimes it does, it adds different flavors, but it's still there, gut-wrenching and gripping and disappointing and hurtful. However, the promise of the gospel is that it will change the eternal weight of our suffering, which is far more important. It will not transform always the emotional weight of your pain, but it will sure as heck change the eternal weight of it so that it becomes small and momentary. And so James says we need to be patient, we endure, because we see the end goal. But as we move toward the end goal, we're going to be tempted. Because God's call in our life is to stick to it, to endure, to be patient. And guys, this is hard work. In seasons of suffering, it is hard to sing the words that are on that screen. It is hard to sing about his goodness and his love and his affection. It is the hardest work we do in our walk with Jesus is in seasons of frustration and suffering and disappointment to wake up every day and yet again lay claim to the promise that God is good. That's the hard work. And so we're doing the hard work and we're going to get grumpy, we're going to get tired, and we're going to be tempted to do two things. We're going to be tempted to smack God and we're going to be tempted to manipulate God. Look at verse 9. This is where he starts talking about smacking God. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. Uh, This doesn't feel like smacking. Uh, Sid, can you show me that next one? We just all need to kind of come up for air, don't you think? Just for a second. That verse is about grumbling with, against one another. So how is, it about, how is it about smacking? How is this verse about me smacking Mitch or smacking Elaine? And the, uh, I mean, how this verse would seem to be about smacking Mitch or smacking Elaine, how can that actually be about smacking God? Let me tell you how. Because you're walking through suffering, you're, frustration, you're frustrated and you're hurt and you are pissed at God. But we're good, we're, we're, we don't do that because God doesn't want us to be angry read the whole Bible and come back and show me where that's true. Read Psalm 13, read Psalm Psalm 88. Psalm 88 ends with this happy verse, darkness is my only friend. The psalmist gets pissed at God and doesn't care, but we think God's a sissy. So we have to sneak around and make sure God doesn't ever find out that we're pissed at him because it'll hurt God's feelings. Okay, can I tell you why that's annoying? Because while you're trying not to hurt God's feelings, you're making my life miserable. 
because you're mad at your spouse, you're mad at your parents, you're mad at your kids, you're mad at your coworkers, and you can't hit God because he's invisible. But you know who we can hit? I can hit my wife, I can hit my husband, I can hit my kids. I'm gonna, I can't hit God, but I'll hit him by hitting other people. Don't do that. Get mad at God, and can you please just keep your business? Do you know what I'm saying? Don't put that on me. There's going to come a day, see, we're a new baby church. We don't do this yet, but there's going to come a day where you get, you get pissed at me because you're so pissed at him. And if I, you pay me to represent God or something, right? I mean, I break bread and give you wine or juice or something magical. I don't know. Don't hit other people. Just get pissed at God. Psalm, one of the Psalms says, pour out your heart before him. Good news, God is not a sissy. So James says, don't grumble, that's hitting God. But then look at verse 12. But most of all, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just a simple yes or no that you will not sin and be condemned. James is a funny book. James is a circular thinker. If you read Paul, when we preached Ephesians, Ephesians was easy. Logical thought chunk one. Logical thought chunk two. Logical thought chunk three first point made. Logical chunk one, it's like an outline that we had to like, we were forced to learn to write and research writing. Guys, I write a lot of papers, never write outlines for them. I'm never like, first my point will be this. That's, James is my kind of guy. He's a circular thinker. So he's talking about suffering and our words and faith without works and how we ought to treat one another and suffering and how we ought to treat one another and faith without works and suffering and words. And then he gets to this point, he tacks it on the end and the message translation is super helpful. Peterson translates it this way. He says, since you know that God cares, let your language show it. Don't add words like, I swear to God, to your own words. Don't show your impatience by concocting oaths to hurry up God. Just say a yes or no. Just say what's true, and that way your language can't be used against you. See, in suffering, we would be tempted to make an oath. And in first century Greco-Roman world, we had a little bit more of a culture for this. We used oaths to other gods to hurry them up. I swear by Zeus. I swear by, by, isn't it Anchorman, which is probably not a movie that you bring up that you watch in a sermon. He says like, by the beard of Zeus, you know, like, so we swear on the temple or on gods and this became part of Jewish culture too. And it was attempt to manipulate the gods to do what you want. Yahweh isn't that God. Jesus isn't that God. We don't get to manipulate God to do that. And you think you don't do this, but let me tell you what you do. Because in a season of suffering, we tell God, if you blank, I will blank. If you heal my loved one, I'll give money to the church. If you heal my loved one, I'll stop doing this. If you give me this thing, I'll start doing that. And we think God can be hurried up. We think, this is why the Bible has a problem with this. This is why I have a problem with this. It, makes, it reveals to me that you believe that God is withholding unless you behave right. He don't do that. God is like Gandalf the Grey and the Lord of the Rings. A wizard is never late, nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. And we might be tempted to manipulate God to get him to hurry up, but he is never late and he is never early. But he arrives precisely when he means to. So one hope, two temptations, three examples. Throughout this text, there's these interesting examples sprinkled through. Verse seven, consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and the spring. Verse 10, for examples of patience and suffering, look at the prophets. 
For instance, verse 11, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. We're going to take those actually backwards and then land on the farmer's one and then take communion. Job's story, it's found in the Old Testament. It's a book that actually the story predates the book of Genesis. It's a story about teaching us that no suffering comes into our life without our father's knowledge. The book of Job opens with the adversary, Hasatan, entering into the throne room of God and saying, you've got this guy, Job, who's very faithful to you. He's only faithful to you because he's got nice things. Let me take his kids. Let me take his goats. Let me take his house. Let me take his other house. And he's not going to like you anymore. Let me afflict him with boils. And so God says, okay. And everything is taken from Job. His life falls apart. And yet Job says, one of the most profound verses in the Old Testament, he says, though he slay me, yet I will praise him. Though he slay me, yet I will praise him. Now, before we run off on this, we already have this unbiblical notion that all the good stuff comes from God and all the bad stuff comes from the devil. Guys, Satan ain't that powerful. He's like a slug. He is a booger's booger. Okay, he is nothing. Anything that he accomplishes is with, the, with frankly, the permission and foreknowledge of God. Any suffering that you have in your life right now has not entered in without God completely having his eye on the ball. It is not because of a fumble. It is not because of a mistake. It is not because God was watching the commercial about this funny thing and not paying attention. No, it's because he knew and thus promises to carry us through it. God's grace in our suffering is that no matter how it feels, no matter how frustrating it actually might be then that God kind of somehow has something to do with our suffering, He's the one calling the shots. Guys, I'd rather have a God who calls the shots and lets the bad things happen than who kind of is always like, wait up, no, I didn't mean for that to happen so that when we get to heaven, he's like, you know, I had A, B, and C under control, but your grandma's cancer, totally missed that, I'm sorry. I'd rather him have it all on lockdown. God's grace in our suffering is that no matter how it feels, he is the one calling the shots. God's grace in our suffering is that he remains in control, which is why we can persevere and endure. Second, James tells us to look at the prophets in the Old Testament who spoke in the name of the Lord. The prophets, if you go in the middle of the Bible, uh, there's a whole bunch of people, Isaiah, Hosea, Ezekiel, Daniel. You meet a lot of Daniels. People name their babies, biblical names. Daniel's a good one. Habakkuk. Not quite as prevalent. Hosea, not, Hosea, guys, God told Hosea to marry a prostitute who would spend their entire marriage cheating on him. God said, go do that. Go read the book. It's super interesting. A lot of weird words, but just, I mean, the whole point is interesting. Nobody's naming their kids Hosea. Each of these authors exercised patient endurance because they saw something that was true from far off. They looked down the corridors of history and saw a Jesus. They saw a kingdom. They saw a new earth and a new heavens. They saw all of the promises of God coming together and coming to fruition, and nobody else saw them. They lived their lives according to a reality, according to an observation that nobody else had access to. Hebrews 11 faith shows the reality of what we hope for. 
It is the evidence of things that we cannot see. The prophets saw a reality that others couldn't, and yet they were patiently waiting its arrival and patiently endured the suffering that they experienced as they told others about that reality, which again is why Paul says, we don't look at the troubles we can see now, but rather we fix our gaze on what cannot be seen because just because everybody else can't see it doesn't mean it's not true. We've been singing this song, I think we sang it last week, um, doesn't matter what I feel, doesn't matter what I see, your prom- my hope will always be your promises to me. I love the song. The song's wrong. It does matter what I see. It just matters on whether I see what's invisible or not. It does matter what I see. It does matter if I can lift my eyes and look and see clearly the promises of God, which maybe is what the song is about, but God's grace in our suffering is that we have been given a glimpse of a bigger and truer reality. It's our true home. And so while we have that vision, it sustains us in our patience and our endurance. Finally, James tells us to look at the farmers who wait patiently for the rain and eagerly look for the harvest to ripen. Farmers make their living off of patience and endurance. My wife is from South Dakota, Those are good, hardworking people who live their lives on the basis of what cannot be seen. I see a big, empty brown field, and they see what will support their family for the next year. I see a big, empty nothing, and they see fresh produce that they can sell that will be a blessing to others. They see a ripening field. James is reminding us of two things in this example. First, that God provides us what we need in our suffering. He says farmers know that rain is going to come. I don't know if you know this. Farmers need rain in order to grow their stuff. God promises to give us not what we want, but what we need in seasons of suffering. For my God, Philippians 4 9, my God will provide all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. All your needs. My problem is my wants and my needs get all messed up. As the Father gives in the needed rain to the farmer, he gives needed grace and mercy to us in the midst of our waiting, often found in people. If you're looking for evidence of God's grace in your suffering, look into your community. But also in this example, God is promising fruit from our suffering. He says he, he wants to look at, look at what this, this is so interesting. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest. It ain't just a harvest. It ain't just like a weird carrot. It's a valuable harvest on the other end of our suffering. On the other end of our suffering, God promises a harvest. God promises a product, not just a product, but something that we will value. Hello. God promises us something of value on the other end, that the fruit of our patient endurance is that there is something on the other side of it greater than the sum of the parts of the suffering that we walked through. The gospel tells us that our suffering will not only be transformed, it will also be transforming crazy. And so God's grace in our suffering provides for our every need and promises a valuable end, something we will treasure. I was with uh, a missionary this week. Uh, His name's Art, and uh, he's a translator with Wycliffe, a missionary organization that like goes to places, there are people in the world that don't have the Bible in their language. And so there are these people that will go to this tribe often that has never written down a language. And so they learn how to write their language down. They write a dictionary of all the words. Then they look at the Greek New Testament and they translate it into that person's language. It takes years. And Art, Art and his wife worked with uh, uh, the Lausi language, the Lau people. 
uh, and their New Testament was finished about five years ago. It's unbelievable. Guys, go online and look for Wycliffe videos. Like, I have like eight Bibles in my house. I'm going to get home and I'm going to like do that and just walk away. Guys, like they bring the Bible and like the whole village has like a fiesta for like days. It's unbelievable. And uh, Arts walked some really crazy hard things. I mean, that if I walked a minute of, I would be grumpy and incapacitated to do my job. I just wouldn't. I wouldn't want to serve other people. I wouldn't want to care for other people because I'd be like, my life sucks right now. And uh, Art says to me something about suffering, and he says, um, coffee is a bitter bean. Eat a bean of coffee, it's, it's tart. But through a process, is transformed into a refreshing beverage. But, but we still call it coffee. He said, cocoa is a bitter bean. But through a process, becomes sweet. But we still call it cocoa. The promise of patience and suffering is that it will transform us and transform our pain. This is bizarre, from something bitter to something refreshing and sweet, but we will still call it what we call it. We will still call it addiction. We will still call it infertility. We will still call it dysfunction and conflict and grief and disappointment. We'll still call it those things, and yet along the way, the Lord's kindness and tenderness, there was that verse at the end of 11, you can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy, his tenderness and mercy that we experience along the way, and in some ways we experience more deeply along the way, gives fuel to our patience. And so here's the word of God for you today. Take heart. Be patient. Endure. Let's pray. Father, we need to be transformed to see things as you see them. I love the freedom that we don't have to call it what it's not, but that it's still transforming us. Jesus, um, help us to see more clearly tonight through this meal that we take. In Jesus' name, amen.